Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. So the primary power of the distinction, I think, between management and supervision is so that you can eliminate supervision. Imagine a world where you didn't have to remind anyone of anything ever. If you're a boss, would that free up some of your time? Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. We internalize our points of view on the world, turning perception into identity. So when we hate working for the man and think work sucks, we become a person who works for the man and, of course, resent it. That's the context I want you to understand as we define what supervision really is and create more awareness around how it negatively impacts our lives. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that, with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. Conditioning leads to authority projections, which leads to resentment, which, and this can express in lots of different ways, which leads to the need for supervision, which leads to supervision, which creates the cycle again, right? Validates the whole thing. And the crazy thing about it is like, if you start with that, Working for the man sucks, which is sort of a phrase to bring in all of that, right? Authority issues, uh, conditioning about work, working for the man sucks. We use that as sort of a symbol for if you come from, if those are your glasses, then you will get validation for that. It's sort of like uh, if you take a, um, you know, a triangle shaped cup, like uh, what do they call those things? Uh, an Erlenmeyer flask, remember those? And you go to the uh, beach and you fill it up with, uh, with some of the wet sand. You go, look, the sand is shaped like a triangle. No, your container is shaped like a triangle. The sand just is what it is. Right? Or just like the glasses metaphor we were talking about last time. If the glasses you're looking through is working for the man sucks, guess what will happen? You will work for the man and it will suck. That's what will happen. You won't be attracted to healthy bosses, or if you do have a healthy boss, you'll bring out the worst in them. Or if you don't bring out the worst in them, you'll bring out the best of them, but perceive it as the worst in them because you'll be committed to that point of view because that point of view has become part of your identity and you don't know who you are without it. Because if you thought work sucks and the man sucks for your whole life, who would you be without that? Who would you be if you were really passionate about your work and you didn't go home and, and you, your favorite topic of conversation was not complaining about how much the man sucks and how much your job sucks and how everything should be free like a Burning Man? 
<laughs> you know, what, who would you be if you were like, wow, this isn't the job right now that I want to have for the rest of my life, but I'm using it as a vehicle to get where I want to go. And today, I got a half of 1% closer to that. And my boss, yeah, he, she's got their issues. But you know what? They mean really well. I can tell that they're trying to support my career. And who would you be? What, would, what kind of reality would it? For some people, that would be a very different version of them. We're talking about half of your waking hours here, and that's just while you're at work. What about the time where you're not at work thinking about work? You know, thinking about how much the man sucks and work sucks and life sucks and it should be like Burning Man. (laughs) I don't know why I'm picking on Burning Man. Not that Burning Man isn't a beautiful and amazing social and artistic. I was going to say, if you haven't been, you should. It's awesome. It's, I, I, yeah, let me, I have to go meta. I see this is the the price I pay for using colorful metaphors. Now I have to, I have to, uh, commentate on it. It's, I, I, I love the event. What disturbs me is when people come back into society and judge everything through the lens of everything should be like Burning Man. <laughs> and, and that's why they justify not having a job or not being able to keep a job. or you know, that, That's a different thing. Okay. So let's talk about management supervision and meta-supervision, which is supposed to be the topic for today. But the, the context is, uh, is important. And speaking of context, the most important context when it comes to supervision and and management and your authority projections and everything is the context of being able to look squarely at and accepting your weaknesses. This is why I'm beating so much the drum of how normal this is, that everybody's got it, that this is universal. Because I've taught, perhaps in some ways naively, the code at clearandopen.com slash code, in case you want to look at it again. Keeping your word, being on time, uh, taking responsibility, not making excuses. These things that are actually very, very basic. And what I experience is that no matter how I teach it, people look at it through the lens of I'm already doing this or how am I already doing this? And it won't work that way. As I say so often, responsibility is, is what happens when you look at where you're being irresponsible. But if you have a filter where you've already decided you're a responsible person, whatever that is, if you're wearing the glasses of, I'm a responsible person, now let me look at this code and see how I can improve. No, 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 no. It won't work that way. You will filter it out. You'll look at it and go, yeah, I guess I could improve my timeliness a little bit. You won't see the thing that you completely suck at. That is where your disengagement is most expressing. Because that's what this is about. It's not about getting more engaged. It's about discerning, differentiating, isolating, discovering, exploring your disengagement. You see? It's deconstructive, not constructive. And so if you go find a a thousand consultants and coaches and whatnot and say, uh, you know, give me your thoughts on creating an engaged workplace or increasing engagement in in employees, 99.9% of it will be about augmenting the engagement, not ferreting out the disengagement. You see? 
That's why I came up with a list of 100 excuses because I wanted to go, here are your excuses. Learn them so that they're not running your life. You see, that doesn't create engagement directly. You see, it's about identifying, ferreting out, discovering, owning disengagement, like Sam was doing for, for just you know, 10 minutes ago, very beautifully, speaking openly about like, wow, this came up in me. I don't agree with it. I don't like that it's there, but there it is. That's owning disengagement, right? Having a company picnic is a creating engagement tack. Now, I'm not saying that those things aren't important. I'm just saying we've beaten those to death and they're easy. And most workplaces, you know, yeah, there's a keg in the break room and, um, you know, your boss asked you what you did over the weekend and all that stuff is there. And then they wonder why everybody's not totally stoked about their jobs. Well, it's because you can layer on all that stuff on top of authority projections and work conditioning. But, you know, you can also put ice cream on horse manure. That doesn't make it pile a mode. Okay. Now I would rather eat the ice cream on the horse manure than just the plain horse manure. Right. But while we're at it, why not actually make it something we really want to eat? That was a vivid metaphor. <laughs> I had a weird dream last night that I was part of this group of people who was, they were making an hors d'oeuvre that they were calling yesterday's mouse. And it was made with just a little bit of cat food. I digress. And I was like, <laughs> there's just, it's just a little bit of cat food. It's just so it tastes a little different than what you're normally. I'm like, I don't want to eat the cat food. I guess that's maybe why the horse manure idea is on my mind. Okay. So supervision. My definition for supervision is really simple. I wrote a bunch of blogs about this and I'll, I'll probably pull them forward and put them in the, in the course about supervision and meta-supervision. Supervision is really simple. Supervision is what happens when someone reminds you that you need to do something that you already know how to do or that you already know you're supposed to do. That's it. That's supervision. And so I make a really sharp distinction. Um, and that's why I, I don't like people using the word supervision unless they're talking about it in a, in a pejorative way. Supervision for me is bad. And it's, it's important to use this distinction because otherwise we don't have a word for it, right? Because if you lump management, which we can define as healthily and reasonably supporting someone to do their job, helping them to grow to do whatever it is they're doing better, or reasonably training someone in something that they don't already know how to do. If we include in management, reminding someone to do something that they already know how to do, reverse delegating, taking something back that they really should have been able to do based on their skills, etc. If we call that stuff management too, then we end up in this very messy, slippery slope where the person is a manager and they go, well, I'm managing this person. And part of management is reminding people to do stuff. And that's just how it is. In that moment, you've bought into the whole working for the man sucks thing. And now you're enabling the employee. So the primary power of the distinction, I think, between management and supervision is so that you can eliminate supervision. Imagine a world where you didn't have to remind anyone of anything ever. Is that interesting to you? 
If you're a boss, would that free up some of your time? Right? For every person underneath you, most managers are probably spending a half hour a week, an hour a week thinking about what that person is supposed to be working on, looking over their shoulder, making sure they're doing it right. Now, I'm not talking about reasonable oversight. I'm talking about the stuff that they said they could do and you know they can do. But because they're disorganized or disengaged or overwhelmed or whatever, in other words, they're not, they're not on it. They're not owning it and they don't have a good reason for it. And then you're shoring that up with your supervision. Supervision is like babysitting in that way, except babies need to be sat. Right? It's babysitting adults. It's like, you know, making sure your best friend has enough gas in their car, you know, and they're over 18. It's like that. So if you start to look at supervision as a, a completely unnecessary and total waste of resources, this should shock you. I mean, really, if you look at the world, think, and, and I, I joke about the reminder, uh, uh, I joke about the phrase, thanks for the reminder. Right? Just in that phrase, thanks for the reminder, there is so much there. Right? Have you ever heard anybody say, I'm so sorry you had to remind me of that? That's the better response. Or, oh, did you think that I'd forgotten? I hadn't forgotten. But I, I, I practiced this for a while. And when someone has to remind me of something, my first reaction is, crap, what happened such that they had to remind me of that? And then I go looking for what actually happened. Did I drop a ball? If so, how? And then how can I make sure it never happens again? If you relate to supervision that way, you get better. If you relate to supervision as normal and you know everybody's human and mistakes happen and sometimes people have to be reminded of things, which is all true. But if you let yourself off the hook by relating to it that way, you won't get better. You'll just thank them for the reminder. Thanks for enabling my mediocrity. That's what I hear. And it could be, thanks for the reminder. And I'm really sorry you had to do that. And I will really want to look at why that happened. That's fine. But what I'm trying to get at here is to start to see how completely normal and accepted supervision is in our society. Because the, the, the code won't work for you. It won't lead you to excellence if you're still inside this mediocre world where supervision is okay. You, you won't see it as rigorously as it's intended. And you won't hold yourself to a high enough standard. When someone has to remind you of something, they may have just told you you're overwhelmed, you're disorganized, you're over your head, you're in the wrong job. You're not prioritizing your priorities well. You're wasting time. They may have just told you any number of those things or more. All you got to do is listen and look. Oh, crap. They just remind me. Well, what happened? How did I forget that? Huh, that's the third time this week I forgot something. Hmm. If you listen in that moment, it might take you to a major place of improvement. If you don't listen in that moment, you may be well on the way to some catastrophic failure which you'll learn from and whatever. But wouldn't you rather learn from the nudges and reminders you get from people rather than the catastrophes? I would. 
basically management is everything else besides making sure people do what they already know how to do. If you have an employee who's already uh, on top of their job in these, in the ways that the code uh, defines, then you're free then to develop them. You're free to manage them because you're not having to follow, follow them around and make sure they do what they said. It probably occurred to many of you already. You're really in many ways not qualified to manage someone to this standard unless you embody it yourself with an asterisk. The asterisk being if you use the integrity excuse of I can't hold someone accountable because I don't yet embody this myself then you're an exception. Some of you know who I'm talking to. So it's, so it's subtle. So what I'd say, it's an, it's an and. I'd say if you're holding someone accountable to embodying the code or whatever version you use of it, just don't be in an illusion about how well you embody it. Make sure you're listening to your own coaching. And you wrestle with that. That's a reasonable thing to rest, wrestle with. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.